Life Radio. Stories at the intersection of music and life. Welcome to another episode of Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter. Music Life Radio is a free podcast available on iTunes and your interwebs at musicliferadio.com, and it features interviews and stories about and related to music. Hello and welcome to Music Life Radio. My name is Eric Kaur from the band Gunpowder, and I'm here today with Al Luhan, the director of producer, and writer for the new movie, Clean Sober Punks. That is, it's currently in production. Right. And we're talking to him today about uh, the film, about his life, about his work. And so let's talk, start a little bit about your life. Who are you? Where you come from? And what's the inspiration? What, got, what gets you out of bed? What got you going? Great. Uh, well, thanks, Eric, for having me. Um, my name is Al Luhan. And yeah, I am the writer, director, producer of, of this new documentary. Um, I'm originally from Southern California. I moved up to the Bay Area about 25 years ago. I wanted to be an artist, and I didn't find the inspiration down in Southern California. And in San Francisco, I mean, if you wanted to be an artist, you just did it. And I came up, I started writing, I started painting, I started doing installation and performance work. Um, and then at one point, I took a, a, a Super 8 class with a bunch of friends and made a, a short movie, a silent, that was screened at Yerba Buena Center for the Arts. And uh, some folks from Frameline Distribution saw it and had me transfer it. And that was, that was my first taste of the film scene in, uh, in the Bay Area. And it was really great. I met a lot of great people. Um, but I stopped, you know, I made two movies. I got a, a grant for my second movie. Yeah, once that was done, you know, I kind of got married and had a kid and just kind of burned out in San Francisco. Were you in the Frameline Film Fest then? I was in the Frameline Film Festival. Uh, Frameline 23, which I can't recall what year that was. I think it was 2001. Okay. Or 2000. Which uh, for the listeners is it's the, the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer. <laughs> Have they added other acronyms on there yet? I'm not even sure anymore. Yeah, it's, just all inclusive. Yeah. Um, yeah, the film was, so it screened a couple of times and it was really amazing to see this short uh, film just kind of on the Castro Theater screen, like huge with a room full of people. It was, it's kind of amazing. Which, which is an epic theater. It's pretty epic. It's beautiful. Yeah, I remember seeing, I, I actually was part of an interview with him, John Cameron Mitchell's uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Wow. Open, open there for a frame line one year and it was really, talk about a, an amazing venue to see it in. That must have been spectacular. It was, it was. Yeah. In LA, what, what got you into music? What, I mean, what, what, what were some of your early memories of music? What, was, what were some of your musical inspirations? Well, I, I grew up in, in East LA, and, you know, it's a pretty an insular community. Um, <clears throat> it was, you know, primarily Latino. Um, and I had a brother who was kind of cruel to me, and I, you know, I wanted nothing more than to be his best friend, and he would kind of shun me. And he was a cholo, and he had a, you know, he had... He had rank, and, and all I wanted to do was be a cholo with him, and he just denied me, which is kind of like against kind of the grain of like, you know, you bring your, your brother in, the gang grows, right. but he wouldn't. He was just really cruel that way. And so once I hit puberty, I discovered punk rock music. It was just kind of hit, hitting L.A. and hearing the Sex Pistols on Rodney on the Rock, and it was this language that like spoke to me. It was, it was yeah, it just understood me. It was like I was adopted and my birth parents came to pick me up and spoke my language. It was amazing. And so, it, it, and it belonged to me. You know, it wasn't my brothers, it wasn't my sisters, and it really wasn't a lot of people in my community. So, at one point, I got bused to, from East LA to West, to the West Side. And there I met like other punk rockers who introduced me to other musical scenes. And I had a, a, a best friend who lived near me. Um, and he was kind of a jerk, but he had a car, and he had parents that were about 100 years old, so he can go out any night of the week. And I would sneak out, take some money from my mother's purse, jump out the window, 
and we'd go to shows. A lot of times we would just go and hang out in the parking lot. You know, I could only steal so much money from my mother's purse without her knowing. So it was either get into the venue or get some booze and drink in the parking lot and just kind of hang out there and, and talk to people. So um, that was my introduction. I, I, I remember at one point there was this show. It was like one of the most amazing lineups. It was like every band that mattered in Los Angeles at the time. It was probably 1983 or 82. And Do you remember who it was on the bill at all? Any of the- yeah, I know. It, it, it was at this venue that it was like a one-time thing because I'm sure that the owners didn't know what they were getting into. But it was like Fear, it was um, Adolescent, Circle Jerks. I'm sure it was Black Flag. And, and, and I'm sure I'm, I'm screwing up the, 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 the lineup and I'm sure that someone will, will call in and remember like, that's not who played. But, you know, <laughs> but it, was like, it was like the show of the century and I, like, I wanted to go. And Jimmy was being a jerk. And he's just like, oh, no, my car's full. I can't take you. So I asked this girl from school who had a crush on me. I said, hey, you know, there's this show. And she's like, sure, my sisters could take us. And so she had these two older sisters. They were like Chicana twins from UCLA. Did they, they know we, anything about punk rock? They didn't rock know anything okay. about punk rock. And so I show up and I have blue hair and my jacket. And they're looking at me like, what the hell? And so my friend and her little sister had dressed up like new wave rodeo clowns like what, what they thought like punk rock was you know ponytails askew and polka dots and mismatching shoes and the little sister had her panties over her pants and i was just like what the hell so we show up we pull up and there's all these people outside because they can't get in it's sold out and they all kind of zoom in it's just like in the movies they all went quiet and zoomed in on us and i was like mortified and the older Chicana twins from UCLA were just like, there's no way we're going in here. This looks too violent. Let's go to O'Farrell's for, for Sundays. And I just remember at that moment, I was just like, fuck this. I'm like, this is like, I've been good my whole life. This is the one time that I'm just going to do what I want. And I ditched them. And I sold their tickets. I traded their tickets for like Black Beauties and for vodka and for weed. And I went to this show and it was really, really epic. It was like what, what you want it to be, it was. Right. But at the end of the night, Jimmy was still being a jerk and was just like, no, I can't take you home. And I was just like, oh, I'm stranded in Hollywood. Oh, so he went there. He went, yeah. But he like had his other friends, probably a girl. He probably wanted to get laid in. I'm sure he didn't. But he still wouldn't give me a ride home and I couldn't find a way home. And so I thought like, okay, I'm a you know, 15-year-old kid. I'm a runaway. I'm going to be a street punk in Hollywood. And you know, again, I was thinking like, my brother and sister were kind of the bad season in the family. I'm like, it's my turn. And then I thought, like, well, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, I'll go over to Santa Monica Boulevard and I will become a punk rock hustler. Like, this is all in, in the matter of a day. Um, right. I'm a teenage prostitute, but I would stand, I stood in the corner and I kind of posed the way I thought I should look. Like, you know, my hand in my pants and sucking my thumb or something. I don't know. <laughs> the cars would pull up and they would take a look at me in my blue hair and my leather jacket. And they would, like, zoom away. They were just like, this is, like, too radical for me. <laughs> so like I just stood there for hours and finally like this group of hustlers that were kind of more like you know the look um kind of took pity on me and kind of took me under their wing and you know we did drugs they they shot me up for the first time um which was kind of amazing and you know they were squatting and you know I just became their mascot and we just kind of like spent the weekend drinking and going to the Hare Krishna temple to to eat um but by that Third day, by Sunday night, I was, you know, I was missing home. I was missing, you know, a warm bed, a shower, some good food. Um, and I figured like, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna try to make it home. And I, I, you know, bummed some spare change to take the bus home the next morning. And I get home and my mom's car is in the driveway. And I go in and my whole family is like sitting around. And I'm just like, oh, I'm in hella trouble. I'm in hella trouble. And so they're... They were just sitting there and I was just like, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be bad. But they got up and they hugged me and they embraced me and they said, they, what they told me is that Jimmy had gotten into an accident on that Friday night, that his car had flipped over and he had, um, it had caught fire and he had sustained burns on, on most of his body and, and that he died the night before he was, he had lived through the weekend, but he oh died God. the night before and. You know, and and it was such a pivotal moment in 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 my life. In that, like, 
I was expecting like the worst circumstances that I was going to be punished, that I was going to be held accountable for like running away and doing drugs. And I, I'm sure I looked a mess because I was probably still tweaking. But that I could use this kind of scene and, and, and know how to manipulate circumstances to my advantage. And um, it was just like a really big turning point in the way, um, yeah, in my behavior. It was really kind of fascinating that like I could get away with things. And that kind of was the start of, of, of a, a long uh, kind of drinking career um, and some drugs as well. But, but it was really a point where I could get away with things. Um, and, and, you know, and just having this epic weekend, like I knew that I could survive anything after that. Um, you know, and I was, you know, I was also a little grateful that I wasn't, you know, with Jimmy that night. Um, or I wouldn't, I may not have been here. Um, so yeah, that was, that was kind of, that was a, a really big turning point in, in my life in high school. You know, and then just kind of being bused to the West Side and, and learning about new cultures. You know, there was kind of the Iranian migration after the Shah went down and, you know, Jewish people and, you know, there's just a big group of people that I had never come across and, and different foods. You know, I'd never tasted falafel and, and I tasted a bagel and I thought there was something wrong with the donut. I was like, what the <laughs> hell is this thing? Um, so that was, and, and so that was great. And just kind of making friends with, with people that were so different from me, but still kind of had that punk rock edge and that we could go out and see each other at, at different venues and go to parties and you know, a lot of times I'd have to take the bus out, but um, it was it was really worth it because the L.A. punk rock scene was epic. It was really just fresh, and yeah, it just had this energy. You wanna get a reputation for throwing down? So you brought your bad attitude to my side of town, and now you wanna start something with your boots on the ground. You better watch your back on my side of town. It did kind of change at, at a certain point. You know, you had your skinheads come in, you had your, your your punk rock gangs, you know, you had your glam, you had your droogs, and then your your new romantics and your goths. It just all said, kind of came together and just kind of subdivided. Said droogs? Yeah, there was a, a, a Clockwork Orange-inspired gang of guys who walked around in white with jock straps and bowler hats. I had no idea. I'd never heard that before. And... It was it was really kind of funny. It was really kind of funny because it's just like, okay, I know you think you look really badass. Did, did they get beat up a lot? No, they. You know, apparently they were kind of badasses because they had canes, and so they could just swing their canes. You know. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, it was also you know it was also that time in, in that transition where you know like the early punk scene was you know there was a lot of queers. There was a lot of kind of anything goes. Well, that like, was an amazing musical period too right, I mean, right really right. and everyone kind of just blended in but then they started kind of subdividing you know had your orange county your valley and just like you know queers couldn't you know we kind of got you know pushed in the corner and a lot of us kind of went underground and you know just kind of us either assimilated or just kind of left the scene because it was just like you know there's a lot of kind of homophobia it started getting kind of i mean there was always always like a touch of it but it also got like a lot more militant about stuff like that with the straight edge movement well, it seems like it was a little more fun when it was just punk was just simply punk. Yeah. And nobody knew what to think about it. And that's actually what made it the most fun. And as people started to define it and describe it and subdivide it, that's when it started getting kind of ugly right. in places. So Yeah. And, and, you know, you still see that. There's people who are very, like, creative and they'll kind of bring their own taste to it. Um, and then there's the uniform, you know, there's yeah. the, that hot topic, you know, uniforms and you know, you dress a certain way for this genre of music that you like. Um, I know I have to watch myself because I, I, I'll see somebody dressed in skulls and leather and spikes and be like, oh my God, that's so cute. And I'll be like, wait, that's not cute. That's badass. Right. And I'll, you know, it's, but to me, it's, it's cute at this point. You know, it's, yeah. uh, especially when it's like a, you know, a 10 year old. That's, oh, then it's just cool. adorable. It's like, <laughs> it's like a puppy in spikes, you know, right. it's like. Right, right. So then what finally, was the, the the catalyst where you just had enough of the LA scene? Well, I 
you know, I, I joined the military because I, I couldn't, I wanted to be an artist and nobody was kind of really giving me that green light, which is, sounds stupid to say, but nobody was kind of supporting me. No one was saying like, yeah, that's, you know, go live your dream. It was like, you know, be practical. And so, you know, I, I had a, you know, I had a part-time job and I was trying to go to school and it just wasn't, it wasn't gelling. And, and, you know, I just got convinced that like, yeah, this isn't going to work. So I joined the Navy to kind of get away. And of course I was stationed in Long Beach. So I was kind of close <laughs> to home and that was, that was okay. That was a, a blessing in disguise. Um, so I, so I still kind of hung out with the same folks. But yeah, uh, coming after I got out of the Navy, I um, you know I fell in love, and AIDS had just hit, and people were kind of disappearing, and I fell in love with with someone, and we moved up. We just figured like, okay, we have each other, we have love. You know, San Francisco is beautiful. We'd come up to the Folsom Street Fair, and that's just like you know Mecca, and we came up, and um, he died like within a year oh, of, wow. of moving up, and and you know didn't have anyone here, no kind of support system, and I had started working in hospice. So, you know, so I was kind of, I knew what was, what was happening, but. What years around? This was the... like 1990. Okay. Yeah. We moved up, I think, in 89 and, and around 90, he passed away. And, um, you know, it was, it was, you know, there was still, even though AIDS had been kind of plucking people off left and right, um, there was still a lot of drugs. There was still, the, the bar culture was still in full force. Yeah. You know, those people who were scared, but that's, maybe that's kind of a, a way that they dealt with their fears, you know, just kind of indulge um well i think a lot of people saw it as just something that was inevitable too I absolutely mean, i think absolutely. So, so i think those two things colliding right yeah and you know people were running up their credit cards you know thinking mm -hmm. like i'm gonna die and leave them with nothing and some people lived and have credit card yeah. debt to this day so um yeah it was it was a very interesting time and and and, and the music scene in, in san francisco kind of changed as well it was a kind of a new wave of of music coming out um so, yeah, and, um, you know, w once again, I fell in love and, and moved to the East Bay after a while, uh, had a kid, and, uh, you know, kind of settled down just a little bit. So, in your original question in the beginning, you mm -hmm. know, like, how did this documentary come about? Yeah, you know, like, I, I had removed myself from the scene because I, my drinking had gotten out of control. Um, it, it was out of control in the beginning when I was 14 and 15. Um, but as I got older and after, you know, some 30 years of hard drinking and, you know, having little or no consequences, the consequences started catching up and um, it started uh, affecting a lot of different parts of, of my life, in, in, especially as I was kind of making a name for myself in the arts community and the mission. I, you know, I was being published, I was having shows, I was doing performance and, 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 you know, making a couple of films. So you were actually doing what you had set out to do when you were right. a kid. Right. And, you know, and then the, the, the partying kind of took over and, you know, I was more interested in being kind of like this art personality in the mission and going to openings and drinking all their crappy wine and just, you know, my work started suffering and I knew that I had to kind of remove myself before I was exposed as a fraud because, you know, the booze was kind of just really taking over and I could see it. No one else, no one else mentioned it, but I could see it, especially in my writing. Um, I would get a lot of requests to, to submit to anthologies and I would just, you know, just, you know, include really crappy stuff. And sometimes they would publish it and I can look back and just look at some of these books that are on my bookcase and kind of cringe knowing that like I didn't give it my best. And I know why I didn't give them my best. It's because I was, did it at the last minute because I was more interested in going out and, you know, being seen. So, yeah. So, I, I, I went on hiatus, uh, you know, self-imposed exile. Um, but as I became sober again uh, within the last three years, I just really wanted to focus on, on recovery. And part of recovery is recovering things that I've given up. You know, I've given up on relationships, on friends, on family. Um, and, you know, I gave up on the, the music scene that I really loved. That it was like, it was like my energy. I stopped going to shows because I was just blacking out. I was just kind of getting into fights. I was, you know, puking in the parking lot. I would spend, you know, tons of money and get home somehow and not remember the show. You know, and got arrested a couple times. I... Got a DUI the night that my partner died. I was uh, in jail, um, kind of waiting to be processed when when 
you know, when he when he passed away. So yeah, so so you know, now that I'm sober, it's like I I want to kind of reclaim that. I want to go back out and 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 experience these things that brought me so much joy. And, and part of that is my artwork, uh, and part of that is the the music scene um, that is still so vibrant. And really, kind of a lot of bands are are coming back, and uh, it, it's still a, a big, strong community. And what what is great is that I I can see the sober people in the rooms now. And whereas before I, I just gravitated towards the most people, the people that are most messed up um, because those were my people. So last year I, you know, being sober, I, I, I decided I wanted to go to this punk rock music festival in Las Vegas called Punk Rock Bowling. And I got a couple of friends to kind of join me. They were sober, sober folks. And I thought like, let's do, you know, this sober road trip. I put a Facebook page up kind of, trying to attract people from all over to kind of meet up and support each other and, um, you know, and go have fun. Uh, and then in the midst of that, I, I figured like, I'll film it and we'll have a, a, you know, a fun road trip movie, you know, hijinks would ensue, you know, maybe one of us would relapse, but it would be kind of, you know, kind of cool. And we'd come back and we'd be sober. So this was never anything that was kind of like an, even an artsy or professional thing, but just more for fun. Right. Okay. Right. Um, you know, just something short, just something that like the, you know, the, the four of us that, that went and, you know, some folks that we met there. Um, but what happened in, in Vegas is that, you know, a lot of people, we, we all just got distracted. There was just so much happening. Um, but I was able to interview um, one person, uh, Sean Wheeler from Throw Rag. He came to our hotel room and I just wanted to ask him questions because I really wanted to know how do, how do I belong in, in this scene that's so chaotic and, and uh, where there's so much uh, drinking and drugs around. How do I integrate myself in this without putting myself in danger? So I wanted to ask some questions and he sat in our hotel room and he just opened up and he made us, you know, he made us all weepy and just really was honest with us. And, you know, so I, I kind of knew that night that that was kind of the direction that I wanted to take this, this film. In, in talking to folks who are in that scene who are in, and, and staying sober and building this community of clean and sober punks, uh, supporting each other and going out and having fun and not, you know, not believing that if you're sober, you have to kind of, you know, live a different kind of life and, and you know, just stay home and, you know, maybe go to meetings or, you know, that you can still kind of be a part of the scene. Um, and it's a, it's a really great community. Uh, there's just so many people that I can see now. I go to, to a, a show and I can, I can recognize a lot of people who aren't drinking and, you know, a lot of us are friends. Um, and that's, that's really important for me to, to be able to see that because um, there's no way I could go out in, in that environment and stay sober. It's, it's just not good for me. Um, so I don't put myself in that situation anymore. Um, and I don't have to because uh, it's a really vibrant scene. Well, that's one thing I think is interesting with, your film because on one hand the film evo simply evolved out of something that you were doing just kind of on, on a lark for fun but on the other hand you've also identified something that was there but actually put a name to it right and because if, if i'm just saying back to you know the the, the so-called good old days but you had straight edge people who supposedly never did anything right literally nothing and I, I don't think they even ate. I think it was just air, right? They just right. munched it. <laughs> and then you had a lot of people who were just really messed up. And then there were some people kind of in the middle. But this idea of that over time, a lot of people in the scene have been getting sober. I mean, for years this has been happening. Right. But I don't think anybody ever thought about it in the sense of clean, sober punks. And I think that in a sense there's, there's even... Because I, I, I kind of see this just from watching your work and just seeing the evolution of what's what I'm seeing around it is it seems as if there's a movement in and of itself that's separate from the film even like there's actually right. people gravitating towards this as an idea right and have you I guess what I'd like to ask you is have you explored that at all and do you see that in the way I'm seeing it or absolutely absolutely and where it was most evident is uh we went back to punk rock bowling this year and you know I thought I would do some more filming uh, but i i set up a booth I, I i got a booth to be there to promote the movie to you know sell t-shirts and to kind of create a safe space for people to just come come hang out at um 
and folks came up to us and they're like, oh, we've been looking for you. We knew you were here. We, you know, we've been trying to find you. And folks just came and hung out. Some folks just stumbled upon us and thought it was great. You know, I had many people come up and say like, oh, I'm sober. And, you know, they would just hang out at our booth, like between sets. You know, we could see the stage from, from our booth, but people would just come and hang out and, you know, talk to each other. And then we would meet up the next morning in our hotel rooms to talk. And um, it was it was really amazing. It was really amazing. And and so so that kind of spurned the idea of, of, of having a nonprofit uh, coming out of this and, and going to shows and having, you know, kind of the bigger shows and having a place where people can kind of congregate and be with like-minded people and, and support people because it's, it's a struggle. Last year, I found myself alone in Las Vegas, uh, you know, at one point and I was really struggling. I was really struggling and I wished I'd had, you know, someone with me. Um, and you know, that was a very short lived, but people were really appreciative of seeing us there, of just being visible and, you know, we talked to, to a lot of people. We talked to people who had relapsed. We talked to people who had thought about, you know, getting clean and sober. And we talked to people who were just drunk or high, and that was okay. You know, mm -hmm. there was, like, no judgment. Um, and we did have a, a guy pass out right in front of our booth, this big guy, the biggest guy there, and just kind of, like, laid out in front of our booth. What a great selling point. I know. I thought it was great. <laughs> and I can't wait for him to, to, to tell his story, you know, a few years down the line, you know? It was, yeah, it was, it was just kind of ironic. We're just like, okay, what are we going to do with this guy? So we took pictures with him. And he was, he was nice enough. He wasn't belligerent. But, um, oh, he was actually awake when you took the pictures then. He, yeah, <laughs> awake. <laughs> he was horizontal, but he was awake. Um, yeah, and so, and, and, and folks, you know, in, in kind of looking at, at this kind of clean, sober punks logo, I mean, it really kind of identifies you, and people have been really uh, into kind of having the t-shirts and having the, the patches and stickers and kind of really identifying themselves publicly. I was just at Disneyland this last weekend, and I had uh, my clean and sober punks t-shirt, and some guy said, oh, are you, a, are you a friend of Bill's? And I was just like, how did you know? He's like, well, your t-shirt. That's I'm like, really oh, cool. well, I guess I guess that makes sense. And you know, he was just really excited that there was someone that could really identifying and and kind of putting the face to it. And also, just to for the listeners, it's it's C L N uh -huh. above S B R above P N X. Right. So it's 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 not explicitly clean right. and sober punks, but if you look at it, it, it it's really quite apparent and it's it's iconic. It's it right. looks great. Right, and so um, you know, and, and and as I've been kind of sending stickers out to folks who re who request them, um, they take pictures kind of around the world, and I kind of post them to our, our Facebook page, folks, uh, you know, in Stockholm and Korea and across the country. So that's kind of cool to see the that logo out there. It is creating another sense of community. It's creating another group right. that I think has has been necessary for a while. Right. And because this has been a hard conversation for a lot of people in that, that scene to, to even have. Right. Or it usually didn't happen until it was at such a critical point or too late. Right. And a lot of times it was a conversation that happened too late. Right. Or didn't happen. And, and I don't know that if I had known that it was a possibility to be a, a punk at a gig and be sober in my youth that I would have gravitated towards that. You know, a lot of the messages of, of, of early punk rock were like, you know, get wasted and, you know... Mm crack bottles so i was just kind of participating in, in what i was kind of absorbing from the music and from this my environment but like i said I, I never saw i never saw folks that were sober i just gravitated to the worst the worst of the worst yeah i wouldn't have been i wouldn't have been drawn to it yeah i i, I was drawn to the gutter it was right you know it was... and yeah you know we have to kind of go through what we go through to get to where we're going you know yeah. but yeah but it is nice because we met a lot of young people and that was actually really awesome i'm always really impressed when folks can get their life together early and you know and they came up to us and and you know we're really excited and you know now we're friends on facebook and we follow each other and um you know and everyone's just really excited for this documentary to come out and then kind of see where that where that takes us but it's also you've created a fun alternative to to straight edge right because i think that was the thing it was it was okay i don't want to be with those people right because there's nothing fun that's ever going to happen there. Right. But then I'd look across and I'm like, okay, that looks like fun. Right. Yeah. And there's some, we have some crazy folks in our, in, our, in our circles, you know. We have some crazy folks. So it's not, you know, it's not, you know, militant and, you know, so regimented that you can't, you know, just like let loose, you know. Um, 
yeah, I remember those those guys. That didn't look fun at all. No, that didn't look fun at all. So I remember know. I knew this 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 poor woman. She was hanging out with some straight edge people, and she was like, "I got to tell somebody." Last night I got a forty and a cheeseburger, and I went and hid and ate it, and I drank the full <laughs> fucking forty because. But if they ever find out, they'd kick my ass and they'd throw me out. But I'm like, "Why are you doing this?" She's like, "Cause they're so cool." And I'm like, "You know." Last night, I bet half of them were hiding behind a dumpster eating cheeseburgers and drinking 40s just like you. Right. You know, it just, so anyway, it's. Yeah. And they were mean. <laughs> Probably because they didn't eat meat. Probably because they didn't. Drink. They're just too wound up. Yeah, you know? just too wound up. Um, yeah, we made fun of them, but not to their faces because they would kick our ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they tend to be in pretty good shape. You yeah. Know? Except for the vegan thing, you know, it's, it's. Yeah, but they were all kind of like muscle heads from the valley and from Orange County. Oh, uh, okay. They're probably doing stero- vegan steroids right, or something. Right, right, right. Yeah. Vegroids. Right, right, right. Well, so what are some of the bands that you've been working with in the project? Great. Well, you know, I've, I've got a, a wide spectrum of folks that I've been interviewed. I have about 55 interviews, 55 to 60 interviews. And originally, it was it was kind of hard to get folks to kind of take me seriously. Um, but I think with, with the first few interviews, I kind of proved my mettle and really kind of shown that I was serious, that I wasn't just some hack that, you know, wanted to get you to, you know, cry on tape. So I was able to uh, interview Jack Grisham from TSOL, Scott Kelly from Neurosis, DH from Dead Kennedys, uh, Sammy Town from Fang. Yeah, there's there's quite a few more, like uh, Sean Wheeler, Krakamaya Welch from Instant Gratification, Noah Levine, who does um, Dharma Punks and who's now mm, kind okay. of running a refuge recovery, uh, a Buddhist uh, recovery service and kind of a movement. Um, some filmmakers, uh, Michelle T, who's a writer. Oh, yeah. And um, Cindy Anderson. And, you know, some filmmakers and some writers and just kind of some folks that I, I know who from the scene who, mm. you know, I think everyone has a, a good, valuable story. Um, so it's been just really amazing that you know, people trust me and they, they can sit down and be, you know, absolutely honest and, you know, just say things that, you know, a lot of people would kind of cringe at admitting, especially on tape. So I've been really grateful and really blessed in, in that, like, I can sit down and talk one-on-one with folks and that, you know, they open up. And, you know, a lot of times it's really just really moving and it really kind of brings me to tears when I'm trying to interview and I'm trying to, like, you know, hide it so that it, I don't kind of derail the interview. But... But it, it has been really emotional. And I don't try to focus on, you know, salacious kind of really kind of the drag out dirty stuff. I, I really kind of want to uh, send out a message of inspiration, of of hope. Um, the tagline for Clean Sober Punks is true stories of chaos, redemption, hope, and punk rock. So that there is kind of a, a message that, you know, you can come out of this um, and that you can be part of a scene without, you know, without using drugs or alcohol. And that you can, um, you don't have to be a geek. You don't have to use and you don't have to, you know, you know, withdraw from the scene. Uh, there are folks out there who are, who are living in, who are rocking. Some of these musicians are just amazing, you know, and, and, and they have that focus. You know, and they're all kind of different genres of, of, of punk rock, but, but it's all kind of still rock and roll. Yeah, um, Ben Coleman from Roadside Bombs. He's just a really great guy. Yeah, Talon from uh, Blank Spots. Yeah, Chelsea... Uh, Rose from Fight, really great interview with her. She might have an angel's face and look like one of the girls, but she's got a taste for sin. She's just a passion slave. She loves us wanton nights full of depravity. She comes from the school of desire and she sets your soul on fire. You're locked and loaded and wild. You know you're about to erupt and then she says what's coming up quit diving naked on accent 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 they all have a unique story but with that message of hope at the mm-hmm. end really um you know I've, I've i've spoken to a couple of folks who've relapsed since i interviewed them the first time and have gone back to talk to them again to get their perspective on you know what it is to, to relapse in, um, you know, in, in the scene and to kind of come back out of it. And, um, you know, I've, I've had my own relapses and I had one, um, 
fairly recently, and you know it, it's 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 a fast and slippery slope, and you know to be able to make it out in one piece and to have the support of your peers is really just it's mind blowing. Um, and so I'm very fortunate. I I I'm very fortunate, and I yeah, just really grateful that that I have these people in my life who who love me and who support me and who came out to to help me. Uh, you know, it was a short it was a short relapse, but I just have too much to accomplish. I have too much life to live to kind of really let that, you know, take me out. So, yeah. I was grateful that you made it back. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I, it gave me a little scare too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and, and, and part of my recovery is not just kind of following, you know, the advice of, of my peers. It's, it's really kind of, uh, has to be a more kind of universal of, of taking care of my health, of my sleep, of of my medications because that was kind of one of the one of the components that kind of got me sliding down as fast as I did into a really dark place is that I have to kind of manage these things and and take care of myself and and you know just sleep when I need to sleep and not kind of overdo it but you know this project is 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 so dear to my heart that like I I I owe it to a lot of people to complete it, but not you know, I'm not I'm not trying to risk my 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 sanity mm. over it. But I'm I love this project. Like I wanted to to keep going, and in fact, I have two more interviews um, in a couple of days uh, at a TV studio uh, with the city that I'm really you know looking forward to. And you know, these are folks that I really wanted to talk to, and it's just hasn't happened until now. But I could I could keep doing this for years and years. But I really want to get my movie out next year. I really want it to be seen and and kind of go around and you know go to like recovery centers and you you know a lot of youth I, I i'd love for that audience to like you know be able to kind of access this and um you know in film festivals and wherever wherever it can be seen i'd be really really proud well you're also putting a different face on punk rock than what we grew up with i mean i remember the really the face of punk rock to me when i was growing up and i remember like it was yesterday i was thinking about it, it was probably sid vicious mm -hmm. and it was tragic and it was dramatic and it was and it was but it was i think the end that many of us saw was like okay that or or i'm trying to think what some of the guy from the germs darby crash darby i mean crash, those were just right. but those were kind of the icons of the movement right. and i and something that that's been hitting me as as we're talking and it's something i've often thought about punk rock is it, there's and it may sound kind of silly or abstract but there's almost a spiritual component to the music and the movement. And, and I think about it in the sense that I remember when I first heard punk rock and started getting into it, it was, it allowed me to feel and honestly connect to feelings that weren't present in my world. And it said, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel fucked up. It's okay to feel confused. It's okay to feel you don't fit in. It's okay to all these things that everything else in the world in the reagan world of you know just perfection or the reagan right. ideal simply did not have a space for and i think i i still there's a sense and a feeling i get to punk rock that i don't get to other things and it does feel like a spiritual connection in a sense absolutely and you can you can see it in in the venue when 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 it's on you just you can feel that energy and it just kind of moves throughout the room. I, I I have that same experience where it's just like my adrenaline just kind of goes up, but it's not like a you know like a jittery thing. It's more like a a sense of like wow, this is this is amazing. This is like you know this energy that's that's it's hard to describe. But oh, do you remember the band Fracas? Had yeah. You? So Dan, our other host, and I were at a their last show in San Francisco a couple months ago, and you know just a loud raucous insane band and i just felt completely at peace yeah it was that sense of everything is right in the world right here right now and nothing else really does that it's it's, right. it's like meditation for crazy people right you know? <laughs> yeah and you just let go and that's yeah. such a really good feeling i'm like yeah i don't i don't care what i'm wearing i don't care what i look like you know and no one else cares yeah that's kind of the amazing thing when you can kind of let that go yeah, that's really cool. Uh, so we're talking about production. Like, how is this happening? How is this coming together? I know you've been doing, uh, for a while you were doing, trying to do some Kickstarter stuff. I right. know you've been 
just really doing whatever it takes to make this work. But what is making this work, and what does that whatever it takes look like? Right, right, right. So I, I have, I did a, an Indiegogo campaign uh, that that was successful. It wasn't as much as I should have gone out for, but I had to be realistic. I've had a couple of uh, benefits. I had a my first one was at the Parkway Theater, and I screened uh, some eight minute of interview some clips of interview to kind of give people the sense of where this documentary is going. Uh, and then I had a show at Gilman where uh, a lot of the bands of folks that I interviewed played at. Um, and that was, that was really great. It was kind of amazing to see folks come out and support that. People are really very supportive. Um, so the next phase is really kind of getting into post-production and editing and sound editing and color correction and, and getting uh, rights to some of the musics. I'd really like to feature uh, a lot of the bands of folks I've interviewed to kind of contribute some music. And I'd, I'd, I'd love to, to just give it that energy. So it's not just, uh, you know, all these talking heads. Um, and, and then I also have to kind of write myself into it, which is, is really difficult because I'm, I want to be really kind of behind the scenes, but I understand that I need to kind of put it into context of why I made mm -hmm. this documentary. And so I'm talking to some producers right now and, and it's kind of in the early stages but I'm hoping that they kind of help me kind of get it out there and do some, some marketing and providing the resources to get it edited. Yeah, I'm also selling merchandise uh, that kind of promotes the film, but also kind of raises some funds through my uh, Facebook page for the documentary, which has about 1,400 likes, which is kind of amazing. That's, you know, that's I, I mean, cool. I don't know in the, in the big picture if that's a lot, but it, for me, it's just like, that's kind of amazing that there's 1,400 people that have kind of come on that page and, and seeing what we're doing and, you know, approve, you know? So, uh, yeah, I'm also writing some grants. That's a very competitive field for filmmakers uh, to get grants, but I'm looking high and low for some resources, some, for some funding. Any particularly crazy things that have happened in the process, or has it been fairly smooth? It's been pretty smooth, other than it'll be hard not to tell, like, their whole story, because there's mm -hmm. just some folks who, who are really great uh, interview subjects who are just like, I would love for it to be all about them, but that process is going to be difficult to kind of edit that down. Um, but no, everybody's everybody's been great. Everybody's been supportive. So I have no craziness, not yet. I anticipate that there may be craziness ahead, but I think as as long as I can put out a product, I will be just just happy. I'll be so happy, and I think that people are, will be really pleased with what we come out with. Well, it sounds like there's just been a tremendous amount of just ground support, and yeah, absolutely cool. And then you mentioned that you've got some people that you're talking to about possibly... Right, doing uh, production, you know, like helping me, you know, get it all kind of put together, distributed, marketed, yeah, and get some of the musical rights. You know, I, I, I'd love to support the bands that have supported me. And that's one, one of the things that, that I feel very kind of strong about. I love going out to see the folks who have been kind of part of this. You know, I support people who support me, you know, whether it's, you know, my tattooer, I'm very loyal that way. Cool. That's exciting. So let's move forward into the world where this is done. It's a huge success. And you're being faced with that, that age-old question that every artist gets is, what do I do now? What would you like to do? do you or have you looked that far yet? I have. I, I know that that question will come up. I think I'm going to move on to clean, sober polka. That would be awesome. No, I'm, I'm really not. Although there'd probably be a lot of good subjects in there, but no. I'm thinking, well, they'd be rolling back the barrel instead <laughs> of rolling it out. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I, think I want to move on to a narrative. I, I've been having some stories kind of bounce around my head, and I'd really kind of like to be in control of what my subjects say. Well, right now, it's really great to let them kind of just say what they, mm. they want to say, and I can kind of veer the, the, the interview in, in a certain direction based on, on that kind of give and take. But I, I would really like to have control over the dialogue and the scenes that I kind of see in my head. So probably a short. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I'm looking at a lot of the, some of the short stories that I've written and, and published and kind of finding kind of threads where they can, and characters that kind of stand out where they can kind of move into this other, other field and, and work together. Cool. Yeah. Have you started writing anything, or is it is it kind of in the? I started writing it um, as a play uh, about two years ago. I put it out publicly that I 
that this year I'm going to write a play. And then I, I had a really bad, I kind of bottomed out on, on my drinking that year. I, I was really hopeful that it would, that, it, you know, like this would capture my, my attention and, and, and make me refocus. But that was kind of the year where it really kind of changed for me. Um, and so I didn't write it, but it's, it's in my head. You know, I, I sketched it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't have an ending, but I, I, I kind of know the, the gist of where it's going. Cool. Yeah. Cool. So one of the questions we ask everybody who comes on the show is, is what does music mean to you? Wow. Music is, it's, it's kind of amazing in the way it has just as a child, I mean, listening to my mother's records, you know, her Connie Francis and some of her, her kind of Mexican rock and roll era music, which is not, it's not, it's not known to all, but there's like kind of this, this, rock and roll scene in, in Mexico that these really kind of fun records came out of. It is around me all the time, you know, more than, more than television and, or games or whatever. It's always been in my environment, in my immediate environment. Um, and, you know, and I, I like all different kinds of music, but, but where I kind of gravitate towards is, is just live music of getting out there and seeing the musicianship, seeing, um, you know, the energy that a band or a vocalist can bring to the room and, and that interaction between the audience and the, and the stage and, and, and just kind of, you know, there's times where you go and you see a band and they, and they suck. I mean, there's no getting around it. But, you know, when you have a, a band that, that has energy and who knows what they're doing and they get out there and they give it their all, I mean, there's nothing, nothing beats that, you know? So, yeah, I, I, I at, work, at work, in my car, at, at home, there's always something playing in the background. Or in the foreground, depending on the volume, you know. So is there anything we, we haven't covered, anything we haven't talked about that you you, you feel is important um, to talk about? Well, I, you know, well, I want to point your listeners to um, that eight-minute clip that I mentioned earlier, um, where you can kind of see, uh, you know, the direction, the kind of framework that we're, that we're going for, and a little bit of my story and, and why I started making this documentary. So if you go to Vimeo and type in CLNSBR, PNX, uh, you can kind of watch that, mm. and it's a really good, I think, a really good. I mean, it's a little rough because it was like some of our first interviews, but it gives you a really strong kind of notion of like where we're going. And uh, we're on Facebook, the same letters, CLN, SBR, PNX, and you can kind of see all the folks that we've that we've interviewed. I've, I've documented, you know, I've, I've photographed everyone, you know, background, foreground. You know, we've been to Los Angeles, we've been to Oregon. Um, so most of these most of these folks are, are West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's just check it out and you know leave a comment, like it, buy some merchandise, and you know just keep an eye out. I update it quite frequently to kind of let folks know where we're going, and um, just keep your eye out. Talk about it. Cool. Now, if if people want to get in touch with you, is Facebook the best way to do it? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And if they want to get T-shirts or merchandise, they can contact you through there too. Absolutely. So if they want to start their own little chapter of clean silver punk, absolutely, that'd be great. I would love, yeah. I, I I I ask folks to, yeah, take pictures of them in their t-shirts wherever they are. We got a lot of good photographs in Disneyland, kind of promoting promoting the movie. You know, we put stickers up all over the place. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Wasn't it? Sure I like, what I, is this? You're like, no, I gave stickers to that guy who asked me, right. and he just <laughs> as I walked around Disneyland, the stickers were everywhere. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool. Thank you so much for coming on here today. And I can't wait to see the movie. I'm really excited about it. Me too. And I'm, I'm, I am I'm, can't say enough how happy I am that, that you started this project and are doing this work. And that I think it's something that the community really needs and is going to be very valuable for a long time to come. So, so thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm. Better come to this and I'm
the interview clean sober punks that was awesome uh we will keep you posted uh, about the film as we learn more we'll post some stuff on facebook and get the word out to everybody also like to thank all the bands that provided music for this podcast um all of those were also going to be featured in the interview clean sober punks uh we have first off we have dr no with the song life roadside bombs with my side of town Bite with Cliff Diving Naked on Acid and Instant Gratification Silent Confessions. Thanks again for checking out Music Live Radio. And next episode is our 100 episode, and we've got a special treat for you. So check it out. Bye.